Hey everyone, it's me, Phil, from The Week in Doubt. I didn't plan on sitting down and recording another episode so soon, but I want to issue a response to a video I watched last night. And for context or reference, it's now Tuesday, November 14th, as I'm recording this. Well, you guys know how I'm a fan of The Amazing Atheist. I even just mentioned him in the last episode I released, where I go through a list of my favorite YouTubers, or at least YouTubers I happen to be in the habit of watching at the moment. And by the way, I forgot to mention Creationist Cat, Joe Rogan, and David Pakman. But last night I was watching the most recent video from The Amazing Atheist. Uh, well, now he likes to just go by his actual name, TJ Kirk, and the name of the video was Hollywood Sex Scandals SJW's Victorious. And it's very rare that I disagree with TJ. I think the last time I did was probably over a year ago. He had released a video in which he compared the chances of dying in a car accident, here in America, I presume, to your chances of dying in an act of terrorism. His point being that it's kind of wrong-headed to get all worked up about something that is probably never going to happen to you. And statistically, he ain't wrong. Here in the West, you are much more likely to be killed in a car accident than by a terrorist. But I think myself and others found it somewhat distasteful or off-putting that he seemed to be casually comparing dying in an accident to intentionally being killed by fanatics in the name of some warped ideology, uh, let's not let political correctness get in the way, usually radical Islam. And I could go on talking about that for a long time. I could go into my whole philosophical take on the weird, unspoken social contract we seem to have when it comes to automobiles, how we seem to almost accept the fact that a certain amount of people are going to die every year on the altar of convenience so we can keep getting from point A to point B faster. But I don't want to veer too far off course, so I'll pull myself back in now. But TJ's going to be talking about all the recent sex scandals and sexual assault allegations that have been in the news, and he's going to attempt to tie all that into some big SJW agenda to take over Hollywood and bring in female directors or something like that. And in fairness to TJ, near the end of the video, he actually says that he doesn't think that it would necessarily be a horrible thing if there were more women directors or there were more quote-unquote SJWs making Hollywood movies and talks about how all the standard movie formulas have kind of gotten stale and maybe a big sea change might shake things up and breathe some new creative life into the industry. So I do want to be fair to him by saying that up front. Me personally, I I don't care too much about the politics of a director as long as I find their work entertaining and compelling and they're not clubbing me over the head with their ideology to the point where it's interfering with my suspension of disbelief. But TJ is going to say some things that, you know, I find kind of odd or concerning. So I'm going to play his video and I'll just stop it here and there and comment when I feel it's necessary. I've been thinking a lot about the sexual harassment scandals that are rocking Hollywood and uh, politics, I guess, to a lesser extent. And I've realized that most people are very bogged down in the super uh, superficial elements, you know, of what's going on here. And not many people, I don't think, yet see uh, the, 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 the bigger picture, you know? Uh, I didn't even see it myself until yesterday when I read about Gal Gadot saying she will not return to the Wonder Woman uh, franchise unless Brett Ratner... Uh, a director who's been accused of rape, sexual harassment, and belittling women on his sets is removed from the project as the co-producer. 
it really started to click to me then what was really going on. Uh, and what is really going on? Well, it's nothing short of a female takeover of Hollywood. Well, I'll just stop there for a moment. So he says the thing or the light bulb moment for him was when he heard that Gal Gadot wouldn't star in another Wonder Woman movie if Brett Ratner was also signed on to the project. And that's when he kind of said, aha, the big picture is the SJWs are taking over Hollywood. And I see what he's talking about when he says the big picture, that in a way it may very well be that all these sexual assault allegations and all this stuff coming to light will cause a sea change where you will see more, for lack of a better word, quote-unquote, SJW leanings in cinema and Hollywood. So I think that very well could end up being the end result. But he almost makes it sound like it's calculated, like this is all some kind of master plan. And as far as Gal Gadot goes, I mean, I don't blame her. Imagine being a woman or imagine being anyone and there's a project that you want to take part in, but you find out that Brett Ratner and knowing everything that's been in the news about him is also supposed to be signed on to the project. I mean, would you really want to work alongside this guy? Ratner is another one of these producers or directors who's been accused of predatory behavior. And I think the most egregious story I've heard concerning him involves Natasha Henstridge. And I'm probably older than many of you listening. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not a millennial. And when I was a youngin, Natasha Henstridge was considered an absolute bombshell, a model slash actress, just absolutely gorgeous, this tall, statuesque, almost Nordic looking blonde. Uh, actually, some of you sci-fi geeks out there, even some of you on the young side, might remember her from the sci-fi slash horror movie species. I believe she was also in the sequels as well. She basically plays a really hot alien who goes around killing guys by having sex with them, I think. But uh, I always liked her. Not only did I always find her physically attractive, obviously, but she always seemed, well, I've never met her in person, but she, she always seemed like a cool lady, someone with a really friendly or chill demeanor or whatever. But who knows what she's like in her personal life? Do we really know what any of these celebrities are really like? All we really know is the face they allow us to see in the media. And I guess in a way that's applicable to people in general. The nice neighbor across the way that always smiles and waves. Who knows what he's getting up to behind closed doors. Might have a damn abattoir down in his basement. That got dark. But anyway, uh, back to Natasha Henstridge. She always seemed like a nice person to me. Um, seemed fairly grounded for a Hollywood type, you know. Uh, she's a rather well-known actress, if not A-list, at least B-list. She's been in some big Hollywood movies with some big-name actors. And so I have no reason not to believe her account of what happened. Uh, but she talks about how when she was maybe around 18 or 19, she was just getting into the business... And this is the same thing that Harvey Weinstein would do. He'd try to get the girls alone in his apartment using some excuse like it was for a reading or something. And once they got the girls alone, that's when the trouble starts. And you might say, and I'd probably agree with you, if you're a young woman, why are you going up to some dude's room that you don't know, even if he's a powerful, well-known guy? Um, maybe your antenna should go up a little, you know, and say danger. But that being said, I don't think that's an excuse to blame the victim. Going up to a hotel room alone with a strange guy might not be the smartest thing you've ever done. 
but it doesn't mean you deserve whatever happens to you once the door closes. And I also imagine, it's the feeling I get, that a lot of these girls were probably conflicted. Like, there probably was a part of them that was saying, danger, Will Robinson, Uh, this probably isn't a good idea. But at the same time, they're probably thinking, well, this is a well-respected guy. This is a guy who produces all these big, huge Hollywood pictures. Maybe he does just want to talk business. Maybe this is the type of meeting he usually has. This could be my big break or whatever, you know? So I imagine a lot of them were conflicted, and who knows what we would do in that situation. You know, if you have this dream that you might be on the verge of seeing come true, but it might involve a little bit of risk, like going up to this room to meet this guy that you don't know. And you have to hope, uh, you know, roll the dice that it's going to be safe or whatever. Uh, and you probably tell yourself, most likely, it's going to be safe, you know. And that's what happened with Natasha Henstridge. Whoa, did you guys hear that? I don't even know if I could do that again. Henstridge. Henstridge. <coughs> Henstridge. I should probably edit that out, but maybe I'll leave it in for uh, comedic value. And I think Brett Ratner basically uh, took his penis out or whatever, kind of similar to Harvey Weinstein's modus operandi, and he said he wanted Natasha Henstridge to perform oral sex on him, and I know this is getting pretty graphic, and she didn't want to, and I guess she made for the door. She tried to leave, he stopped her, and according to her account, she continued trying to fight him off until he overpowered her, and she just kind of got too tired to fight anymore and let him do his thing or whatever. Okay, so here's an article from Deadline, and it says, uh, and I think I got the circumstances wrong. I don't think she was necessarily auditioning for Ratner. It says she was a 19-year-old fashion model, and he, a music video director in his 20s, went after a small party of friends at his New York apartment. Ratner prevented Henstridge from leaving, forcing her to perform oral sex on him. And here's a quote. He strong-armed me in a real way, the species actress says in the Times article. He physically forced himself on me. At some point, I gave in, and he did his thing. And I think it was a different director. Uh, who's the other director I'm thinking of? Not Weinstein. Is Weinstein? No, Weinstein's just a producer, but this guy's a director, I think. A guy probably uh, looks like Weinstein's age. Cheesy beard, bald head, fat. <laughs> he also had a fetish for uh, masturbating in front of or on actresses. James Toback, that's the guy. And I think it was Selma Blair. And Selma Blair was another kind of uh, female heartthrob or whatever uh, the proper term is. Is heartthrob usually used for male actors? I don't know. Anyway, she was in the movie Cruel Intentions with Sarah Michelle Gellar. And she was in a couple of popular TV shows I used to uh, watch as well. She said that Toback had forced himself on her and held her uh, against the wall or something like that. Or against the door. So she couldn't leave. Well, he masturbated and he even held her face so she couldn't look away or whatever. Really disturbing stuff. But the reason why I'm going into this is because TJ is about to go into the whole casting couch phenomenon and talk about it as if there's always been this agreement that actresses accepted, like... Okay, quid pro quo, you give me sex and I give you a movie role or opportunity. 
and uh, were happy with it until recently when they decided they weren't uh, happy with it anymore. And my issue is that we're talking about consent here. I think most of us, when we think of the casting couch, we think of the 40s, we think of the big silver screen era. When I think that stuff probably really did go on regularly, and who knows how much of it was consensual back then. And let's say, theoretically, a female actress, as opposed to a male actress, um, an actress is willing to trade sexual favors for a part. Probably, you know, we'd still call it sleazy. We could see that it's probably not good for the art form either, that the person chosen should be the, the most suited person for the role, the most talented actor, whatever, not who's willing to spread their legs or open their mouth, not to be too crude. But let's say it is fully consensual and there's a girl who morally has no problem about exchanging sex for success or whatever. Okay, okay, fine, you know. But we're talking about issues of consent and sexual assault. Most of these cases that have been in the media have involved guys forcing themselves on women against their will and not even letting the woman go after they protest or physically try to fight back. There's even stories about Harvey Weinstein basically forcing his way into actresses' homes. I know that was the case with one English actress, he supposedly, according to her, forced his way into her home and basically raped her against a coat rack. So we're not just talking about sleazy quid pro quo, we're talking about rape and sexual assault. But I'll continue with TJ's video. Here's what's obvious to me. For many years, Hollywood has operated in such a way that many of the actresses that have become household names have slept their way to the top. Men in positions of power in Hollywood have made or destroyed careers based on who was willing to hop onto their erection, you know, and take a little ride. And uh, we all knew this was going on because Hollywood really didn't hide it very much. It was never really considered a scandal. It was kind of the butt of a joke. Hey, it ain't that hard, man. I filmed the motherfucker, right? Then I yell, cut! Then I run the fuck out of here, go to my trailer, because I got more white girls in there than the first lifeboat on the Titanic. And they all want a part in my movie. And I got just a part for them. So uh, that Hollywood of old, that was, uh, that was the thing. And it existed from a long time ago up until very recently. And uh, all those women who tolerated it, they're now a thing of the past. They ain't putting up with it anymore. The so I forget what movie that's from. It looks like one of those Kevin Smith movies with Jay and Silent Bob. So he's playing a clip that kind of demonstrates how the casting couch thing is a well-known secret, so to speak, and that it's even been the subject of jokes in mainstream films, etc. I think for me, maybe I'm naive, but I really do picture in my mind this casting couch stuff happening back in the 40s, 50s, maybe 60s or whatever, and I don't picture it going on in modern times. And I'm sure, you know, that there probably are some instances where it does go on, probably more than we'd like to believe. But generally speaking, when I see a lot of these popular actresses I have respect for, I don't picture them having slept their way to the top. Uh, maybe that's naive once again, but they, they seem like smart, capable people. Some of them are even kind of Hollywood royalty. You know, if anything, a lot of the time, I would assume that nepotism had more to do with people becoming successful in Hollywood than the casting couch. I mean, there's a lot of people, male and female, I'm thinking like Ben Stiller, Gwyneth Paltrow, a long list of people, successful actors who have famous parents in the business. It blows my mind. I mean, these people who are trying to sexually assault women, they should be treating them with respect because... 
they're human beings, but maybe it goes further to show their hubris or whatever. But even young actresses who are kind of, like I said, Hollywood royalty, or who are the children of well-known and well-respected people, that didn't keep them from being harassed or preyed upon by these guys. People like Mira Sorvino, the daughter of Paul Sorvino, uh, you know, like I said, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Asia Argento, the daughter of the great Italian horror director Dario Argento. And Asia Argento, I'll admit it's kind of a weird case because she accuses Harvey Weinstein of essentially raping her, I think in her words, uh, perhaps not verbatim, but paraphrasing, I think she may have used that, that word. He had this tactic, I guess it's his way of trying to break the ice or lock the woman into an intimate situation. He'll ask a woman he just met that he potentially is going to have power over if, if he hires them. Well, in a sense, he already has power over them because he holds the power to decide whether or not they get a job. Uh, he'll ask them for a massage. And I think a young Asia Argento actually gave in and gave him one. While this is going on, Weinstein raises her skirt and forces oral sex on her. Once again, sorry for being so graphic. Uh, these are all stories that are, you know, in the mainstream news right now, and these details are out there. And if we're going to be talking about consent and how serious, you know, these allegations are, I guess we have to talk about the details. But yeah, so forcing oral sex on her while he's lying down getting a massage. But she would go on to have a consensual ongoing relationship with him after that. And I think it kind of muddies things in a, in a weird way. And I really like Asia Argento, and I love her boyfriend, Anthony Bourdain. And he's really come forward in the media, at least on platforms like Twitter, and really taken some pretty hard swipes at people like Weinstein and uh, Toback or whatever his name is, and basically didn't hesitate to let them know what he thought about them. But yeah, it's kind of uh, weird, though. It does kind of muddy the waters, I guess. Technically, um, it's not impossible to be raped and then end up entering into a relationship, I guess, with your rapist. Uh, it sounds really bizarre. I mean, I think most people, the last thing you'd want to do is see that person again. But who knows? Maybe, you know, the, that first encounter was forced, but she's young and mixed up. And it was stupid of her, but maybe she thought you know, for the sake of her career, she had to stay with the guy. There's no good excuse to enter into a relationship with someone who does that to you. Uh, but she's probably telling the truth. But I think it does do damage to your credibility a little when afterwards you end up being in, I guess, a fairly long-term relationship with the person. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, once again, I don't have any reason to not believe her. Ashley Judd is another person from a famous family. Uh, when I think of these people seem to really carry themselves well, they seem to have some poise and self-respect, whether it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, I don't want to get into the whole goop thing or whatever it is as a skeptic. She's done some shady crap where she shells these very dubious kinds of uh, health and beauty products, some of them which can actually uh, prove harmful, I guess. But other than that, you know, she seems like a smart, intelligent woman, carries herself uh, well from a well-known family. And there's a lot of actresses like that. I don't picture them being the type of people that would just spread their legs willingly to climb up the Hollywood ladder or whatever. That's why this whole idea of a modern casting couch thing seems kind of weird to me. Uh, once again, maybe I'm being naive. 
Uh, maybe I could see it with like a B or C um, level movie actress or people who act in late night Cinemax or Skinemax, as we used to call it, movies. Um, the type of thing when I was a kid, I used to sneak downstairs to watch in the middle of the night. But yeah, I mean, I, I could just be being overly idealistic, but let's say there is a certain percentage of famous actresses who did or do sleep their way to the top to some degree. Uh, let's just say for the sake of argument that that is something that happens more than we'd like to believe. That doesn't change the fact that these allegations in the news are mostly about assault, not trading favors, you know, consensual sex acts, but people forcing themselves on other people against their will. From a code legalistic perspective, yeah, everyone's technically supposed to be considered innocent till proven guilty in a court of law. But we can still use our judgment and reason to try to suss out whether or not we think allegations are credible, whether there seems to be a pattern or not. And I have no reason with most of these cases to doubt the women. Uh, that's not to say that sometimes there aren't false accusations because there's famous examples like the Duke case, etc. I think these are sad facts of the human condition. There really are people out there who sexually prey on and assault other people. And there really are also weird, damaged people out there who lie about being assaulted, however rare or not that might be. And in the court of public opinion, outside of the legal system, the best we can do is look at each case individually and use our reason and judgment to try to assess how credible the accusations are. So to reiterate, yeah, fake allegations are a possibility, but at the same time, women uh, and people in general, men and women, children, are sexually assaulted every day. And I was actually just looking at Rain.org. Uh, that's a, an organization for rape and incest uh, survivors. It says sexual violence has fallen by more than half since 1993. But then it says, uh, still, supposedly, every 98 seconds, another American is sexually assaulted, it says. It says about uh, 80,000 inmates each year are sexually assaulted or raped. Uh, 60,000 children sexually abused. Over 300,000 uh, Americans, 12 and older, sexually assaulted or raped. Uh, almost 19,000 experienced unwanted sexual contact in the military. Cherry episode, right? Uh, but anyway, so we have a lot of high-profile women of good reputation, successful, coming out of the woodwork with similar stories in the case of Harvey Weinstein. He admits that he had a pattern of wrongdoing. We know about people like Olivia Munn, Natasha Henstridge, and several others in the case of Ratner. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that maybe one or two were making things up, but do you really think all of them are? We have this pattern, like I said, reputable, successful, fairly powerful in the sense that they're well-known, uh, wealthy women accusing these powerful men of things. And I doubt it's for the payday or anything like that or because all of them are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Once again, yeah, legalistically speaking, no one is uh, guilty until proven guilty in a court of law. But like I said, we can still use our reason and our judgment to try to suss out in our opinion whether we think the uh, alleged victims are telling the truth. And as far as I can tell, uh, the people making allegations of assault against Ratner, Weinstein, Tobak, etc., they seem to be credible. And, and also this thing on the news with Roy Moore that I covered on the show recently, where he was in his 30s, a district attorney, and he was fondling or molesting 14 or 15 uh, year old girls. 
and I've been, uh, and actually I've been recording this over a number of days, and in the interim, it turns out Roy Moore was also banned from a mall and uh, some kind of youth center for bothering teenage girls. But Roy Moore's victims have no reason not to believe what they're saying, and even top GOP leaders are saying they don't have a reason not to believe the uh, alleged victims. And speaking of updates, I think it just broke today, and man, have I been dragging my feet with this episode, because I started it, what was it, back on Tuesday or something, and it's now the 19th, it's now Sunday, and today there was a story about Brett Ratner, and just when you think, like, the stories can't get any worse, any more sordid or sleazy or disturbing, now there's a duo a duo of uh, alleged offenders, Brett Ratner and Russell Simmons. Uh, A young actress came forward. Well, she was young at the time. Okay, here's a bit from an article. This is from the Huffington Post. Music mogul Russell Simmons has been accused of sexually assaulting a 17-year-old girl in 1991 as movie producer Brett Ratner allegedly watched and did nothing to help. And supposedly there was a similar incident with the two men uh, back around 2001. It says Kerry Clausen Kaligi, a fashion model at the time of the alleged 1991 incident, told the Times she met Simmons at a casting call. At some later point, she said she had gone back to Simmons' New York apartment to watch a music video the men were working on. There, she said her clothes were yanked off and Simmons made unwanted sexual advances. I looked over at Brett and said, help me, and I'll never forget the look on his face, she told the Times. In that moment, the realization fell on me that they were in it together. Kaligi said Simmons tried to force her to have intercourse, but she refused and acquiesced to perform oral sex instead. Ratner, she said, just sat there and watched. She said that while taking a shower afterward, Simmons came up behind her and briefly penetrated her without her consent. She jerked away from him and he left, she said. And it has a really disturbing picture of Ratner and Simmons together. And Simmons just has this very odd giant smile plastered across his face, which looks, uh, you know, very creepy after, you know, in retrospect. And that's kind of a shame. Well, I've always had mixed feelings about Russell Simmons. Firstly, I'm not really big into... I was just talking about this with friends last night. A lot of my friends like the similar music like I do, like uh, heavy metal and alternative rock, uh, maybe like indie music, classic rock, stuff like that. But a lot of them also like rap and like hip-hop, and that's where like there's a total disconnect, with very few exceptions. Um... I just, I don't get into, uh, I don't get into rap, but I've always kind of liked Russell Simmons because I thought he had like a positive message. He, even as a a non-believer, as an atheist, as someone who used to be really into, and is still in some way, into Eastern religion and philosophy, I liked how he would kind of promote meditation and incorporating Buddhist principles into one's life and how he'd talk about charities and this and that, you know, when he'd, when he'd appear on Real Time with Bill Maher or whatever. But at the same time, I always felt like I sensed a certain kind of arrogance or a certain aspect of his personality that kind of 
didn't sit right with me or kind of put me off, but nevertheless, I still thought he had a positive message. So if these allegations are true, um, this is another case of someone, you know, we thought was out there doing some good in the world, uh, a decent, <laughs> decent celebrity trying to change things for the better, just finding out they're a total scumbag or whatever. In fairness, like I said, you know, innocent until proven guilty, technically. And Simmons issued a pretty strong response or statement. I completely and unequivocally deny the horrendous allegations of non-consensual sex against me with every fiber of my being. And I, I think there's a longer version of the response, too. And so, yeah, it's kind of weird because, you know, if someone accused me of wrongdoing and I knew in my core I did not do what I was being accused of doing, that's probably something, you know, along the lines that I would say that, you know, that I'm insulted by these accusations, I resent it with every fiber of my being or whatever, you know. But there's nothing that prevents someone who is guilty from saying something like that, too. So, it's, it's I mean, it's so hard to know. And when you look at, I mean, if her account is true, I mean, that's really disturbing. It sounds like, according to her, he basically ripped off her clothes, basically, as soon as he got her in the door, you know, and, and tried to get with her. And, um... Then it says she acquiesced to oral sex instead of intercourse. And, I mean, I wasn't in that room, so who knows how exactly things went down. But I, I just, ugh. Like, I'm picturing, like, a, uh, a frightened, intimidated girl. You got these two guys, and you're in a room alone with them, and they want to have sex with you, or at least one of them does. I mean, was it that she was so intimidated that she felt like... She had to offer them something in order to placate them, you know, and uh, maintain her safety or, or get, you know, get them away, which is really, I mean, that's just, I don't even know what to say about it. That's a really sordid and depressing situation to imagine. And then there's the weird thing with the shower. Like she felt like she was kind of, it sounds like she felt like she was threatened or intimidated, bullied into performing a sex act on at least one of these guys. And then somehow she ends up in the shower, which maybe you could say sounds a little suspicious because if you were just victimized by someone, you know, why would you hang around and take a shower? But then at the same time, you don't want to judge the alleged victim too harshly because if she really was victimized, sometimes people do strange things in, in the wake of something traumatic and, uh, you know, it might be easy for us to say, why didn't she just run out the door at some point? Maybe she felt like, uh, you know, like I said, intimidated or cornered. And maybe she was, um, I don't know. I was going to say maybe she felt like in shock or dirty from what had happened, shaken by it all. And maybe she still felt like she couldn't leave for some reason. So she at least asked if she could use the shower uh, and then Simmons comes up behind her and tries to penetrate her or whatever. Once again, this is pretty graphic. But who knows? You know, I, w I wasn't in that room. I mean, it doesn't look good for them that there's two cases that both men are implicated in. That one in the 90s and then the 2001 case. So it almost makes them look like this creepy uh, predator duo or something. Creepy high-powered predator duo. Very, uh, very odd.
And it definitely doesn't look good for Simmons that his partner in all this is Ratner, someone who already has a long list of uh, sexual misconduct or assault allegations against them. Yeah, so who knows? Very strange, because, I mean, my gut reaction to these stories is I always want to, my gut instinct is to side with the victim, but then you have to remember, you have to try to be fair and realize that there may be a chance that what this person is alleging uh, actually didn't happen, and then you might be creating more victims by breaking out the pitchforks and torches for someone who maybe didn't uh, commit the act they're being accused of committing. And and it's hard to know for sure when, um, you know, we weren't in that hotel room or whatever it was back in, what was it, 1990-something? Was it 91 or 93? Um, but the fact that Ratner was there and that they're buddies, I mean, that that doesn't look good. That doesn't look good at all. Yeah, it's like, like I said, the best we can do as outside observers is is just try to um use our judgment and reason to to try to suss out how credible the given allegations are in each individual case but it wouldn't surprise me if they did you know if they are guilty of it because we already know ratner we already know what that guy's capable of so Ratner and another guy together with a young girl in a hotel room, um, it, it wouldn't come as a terrible surprise if uh, something bad went down, you know? And like I said earlier at the top of the show, even if you make a bad judgment call and say you, go, even if they're, you know, famous, powerful, well-respected men, if you go into an apartment or whatever, or go to some guy's home or whatever who you don't really know, by yourself, you know, late at night or whenever it is, yeah, that might not be the best judgment call, perhaps, but you do not deserve whatever bad thing happens to you once the door closes. The onus is still on the predator, you know? But all I would say is, like, I don't know, I guess if you're a young woman, <laughs> be extra, and I'm not laughing because it's amusing, I'm laughing just you know, of exasperation, just can't believe all these uh, stories and whatnot. If you're a young woman and it sucks that we can't just trust our fellow human beings, I guess try as much as you can to be careful or watch out, you know, who you end up alone with or who, whose room you go up to. And if you're a guy, you know, don't prey on women, man. Don't force yourself physically on someone and don't intimidate someone into sex should really go without saying you would think but wow i can't believe how long this episode is is going on for uh i cannot believe it and and i actually the first night i started recording this i recorded an over two hour long impromptu version and decided that there were some technical errors the sound of my voice uh i thought just too much meandering or whatever, and I wasn't happy with it, so I basically scrapped it. And and here I am again, and I, this is probably going to be one of the longest episodes I've ever done, and it's basically a response to a 10-minute video. But I guess in a sense, it's more than that. It's also me waxing philosophical 
and trying to wrap my head around this deluge of sexual assault allegations that has been in the, the media lately. And there's a lot of cases and a lot to talk about, and there's a lot you can wax philosophical about. But I apologize once again if it just seems like a really long-winded episode. I guess I'll try to you know get back on track and um, try to summarize or encapsulate what I was responding to in that portion of TJ's video before I went off on that meandering uh, tangent and talking about those updates to those news stories. So TJ was basically saying this casting couch stuff has been going on from that old classical era of the silver screen up until recently, whereas I was saying I assume that kind of thing wasn't really going on anymore, probably somewhat naive on my part. But of course it might be, you know, like I said, in some instances. But for the most part, I have trouble seeing some of the successful actresses I respect having come up that way. But who knows? I'm not a Hollywood insider. Either way, these cases being highlighted in the news, these are largely cases of if true sexual assault, not consensual quid pro quo. And I really just want to try to drive that home. I know I'm repeating that uh, message a bit. But uh, let's get back to TJ's video. Media has become their ally. And once people took the media seriously, uh, you know, it's it's it, this is one of the few instances, I should say, where the media was taken seriously. Because, you know, like the media has been taking its, its fucking licks as of late. But on this issue, no one really fought the media because the left is OK with it because they want this female takeover of Hollywood to happen. Uh, the right is okay with it because they hate Hollywood and love to see these cocky, self-important stars and insiders fall. All right, so I think that's where TJ starts to sound kind of conspiratorial. So he's saying the left is all right with these news stories involving sexual assault allegations because they want to see the female takeover of Hollywood. And maybe a lot of people do want to see that um, kind of feminization of the industry, and they want to see a lot more female directors rise to prominence. Sure, maybe there's a lot of people who feel that way, okay. But to say that's why the left and the left-leaning media is embracing or promoting these stories seems once again kind of conspiratorial to me. My guess is the reason why the press is running with these stories is because, I mean, and it probably shines a light on a less-than-savory aspect of human nature, but people love sordid stories, people love drama, people love seeing people in high positions kind of fall from grace. And even me, you know, I have to admit that I've been riveted to the news because of these stories. The stories morally outrage me, but at the same time, th there probably is some kind of soap opera aspect to it uh, that I'm drawn to as well. And there probably is this kind of schadenfreude or dark part of me that likes seeing these, you know, extremely successful people kind of get toppled or whatever. So to reiterate, I think the news outlets are pushing these stories because, well, hey, it's, it's good for business. You know, when people are riveted to the news or the TV sets watching CNN or whatever, that's good for business. I don't think they're pushing the stories because they want to see a feminist takeover of Hollywood. Although there may be some individual news anchors or personalities who do support or sympathize with that kind of agenda. I'd like to believe that some people in the media are pushing these stories because they want to do the right thing, you know, sunlight's the best disinfectant, that they want to try to get rid of this type of behavior by shining a light on it and try to make sure the people 
who were engaged in this behavior and raped or assaulted people are held to account and brought to justice. But at the end of the day, you know, Occam's razor, the simplest explanation, is uh, often the best. And the stories are probably staying in the news, once again, because it's good for business. And I think at the beginning, the media, especially NBC and MSNBC, I think were hesitant to break the Weinstein story because Weinstein has some kind of affiliation with NBC or some of the brass there. So it took a bit for the Weinstein story to get off the ground. But once it did, the ball got rolling and the allegations just kind of came pouring in one after another. And, you know, Weinstein ain't never denied them that, that I know of. Or maybe he's denied certain aspects of them. But in general, he's at least admitted that he had, he had a pattern of serious wrongdoing. And uh, he even went as far as to go to some center somewhere to try to get help for his behavior or whatever. Uh, almost implying that maybe he's a sex addict or, or something like that. But of course, being a sex addict doesn't give you the right to force yourself on another person. It's more than just sex addiction. He seems to have been engaging in some seriously predatory behavior that can't be washed away with a stint in rehab. So neither side is pushing back against this narrative at all. So for the first time in a long time, the media is being um, trusted on something. So we had a Hollywood system where men were in control and the way for a woman to climb the ladder was basically to climb a ladder of dicks, you know, the dicks of directors and producers and anyone else who had any clout. And that system, if we're honest, was completely fucked up. The new way things are going to work now over the next 10 years or so is that women are going to climb the ladder by making it clear that their accusations are more powerful than any big shot producer or director or star. Women are showing Hollywood, hey, the media's on our side, the people are on our side, so you're gonna fucking fall in line. And Hollywood is falling in line. So this thing about the power of accusations, TJ seems to be kind of painting it in this uh, ominous or foreboding way, like women will use false allegations or the threat of false allegations as a kind of leverage or currency or tool of uh, power or manipulation. And I think obviously that would be wrong. That would be tremendously unethical to say the least to try to get what you want via false allegations. But I think there might be some truth in what TJ's saying in, in that Maybe men in power will be more fearful of allegations that shine a light on their actual misconduct or criminal sexual behavior. And thusly, that might cause them to think a bit more deeply about their behavior and to watch their conduct, which I think would be a very good thing. So once again, TJ's talking as if this cast and couch stuff is still intact or operating the way it was back in the day of that classic Hollywood period or whatever. And uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true. And even if it was, let's say there really is a magic ladder of dicks you can climb to uh, success in Hollywood. That still doesn't change the fact, yes, once again, 
uh, not to sound like a broken record, but we're talking about non-consensual sex here, sexual assault, uh, with some exceptions. Like, there's the whole Louis C.K. thing, and now everyone's debating over how bad what Louis C.K. did was or not. And I certainly don't think Louis C.K. is as bad as a Weinstein. And the funny thing is, I'm not even a Louis C.K. fan. I don't mean I don't like his work. I mean that for some reason or another, I've just never really found the time to expose myself. Perhaps expose myself is the wrong word or phrase. But expose myself to his, his work. I've never watched any of his sitcoms. I pretty much stopped watching sitcoms after I think Frasier went off the air. Seinfeld, Frasier were like the two last sitcoms I really loved. And uh, back in the day, news radio just showed shoot me. Oh, and of course, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, but for some reason I don't classify that as a conventional sitcom. So yeah, I've never seen one of Louis C.K.'s sitcoms, never seen one of his stand-up routines, but I feel like I have a certain pathos or sympathy or empathy for comedians, the whole sad clown thing. I think a lot of comedians, despite how hilarious they are, uh, kind of a lot of them are these kind of strange, broken people. I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan, and he's uh, a stand-up comedian himself, and he often has stand-up comedians on his show. And uh, this is like, this whole kind of sad, broken clown thing is kind of a recurring theme. So I almost feel like, in the case of Louis C.K., the things he did weren't right. I mean, you shouldn't go up to someone... And, you know, say, hey, you mind if I masturbate in front of you? Very bizarre. And uh, some people debated whether or not he was abusing his power. In one case, he was on a comedy tour or he was playing a, a comedy show, getting top billing. And there were the, a couple of younger female comedians, I believe, who were billed under him. And at the end of the night, they're all hanging out in his hotel room or whatever. And he suddenly says, and it's such a weird scenario, he says, you guys mind if I masturbate? Or whatever, and I think he proceeded to expose himself and masturbate, or uh, masturbate the uh, weak adult drinking game word of the week. And uh, supposedly, they just didn't know what to do, so they just kind of laughed and screamed. You know, the two uh, comedians. And it's still, I think, the wrong thing to do if you're a guy to corner a couple of women and whip out your willy and start uh, masturbating. <laughs> Take a drink, which I think is part of both uh, Tobax and Weinstein's modus operandi. But in those cases, it would usually end up with them physically forcing themselves on the on the women. But supposedly these big directors like Weinstein and Tobak and um, Ratner had more power over their victims than, say, Louis C.K., you could argue. I guess Louis C.K. had done another similar thing when he was a staff writer before he really came to grandeur or notoriety. So I don't know. It's weird. It's still something you shouldn't do, but I wouldn't necessarily put him on par with Weinstein or other people who actually physically force themselves on women. I'm sure a lot of uh, my female listeners will probably be saying, dude, don't defend someone whipping their junk out and masturbating in front of women who want no part of it. That ain't cool. And it's not cool. Not cool at all. Uh, I'm actually someone who is Really against catcalling, and I know catcalling isn't quite as extreme as uh, masturbating in front of someone. It's, uh, it's weird because I'm technically a construction worker. I work with my family, and we mostly do home remodeling, so it's not like I'm hanging out on steel girders looking down at the street. But my parents raised me a, a way that, no, you know, that's not something 
you do. Uh, the way we were raised, I wouldn't even think in a million years of whistling at a, a woman walking by. And I think if I did, my father would probably shoot me a death stare or something if I ever tried. And the reason why I think catcalling so bad, other than just being simply rude, uh, is if you put yourself in a woman's place or a woman's shoes, not literally, then you'd be like Jeffrey Tambor, the star of Transparent, and all his allegations coming out against him, too. But anyway, I was trying to make a point about how women must feel being catcalled. And uh, I sometimes feel like, you know, you can't win nowadays because if you even mention sexual dimorphism, some might paint you as a sexist just for saying, you know, on average, men tend to be bigger and stronger. Some people find that sexist where I find it to be just physiologically and scientifically true. You know, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I think for the most part, it's your brain that really takes you forward in life and not your muscles or how much you can lift or whatever. So I'm not saying I think that one sex is lesser than the other based on physical strength. Far from it. I think that's that in most contexts, that's rather irrelevant. But I do think it's just true that there are hormonal and physiological differences between men and women. And I think women do sometimes feel unsafe around men uh you know there's like this this kind of physical intimidation factor and hopefully it doesn't sound too patronizing because i think there's a lot of strong athletically gifted women out there who could uh you know certainly kick my ass so you know if you put yourself in a woman's place if you're a woman you're just trying to walk to work and all of a sudden there's some guy or guys yelling stuff aggressively at you or whistling at you like you're a piece of meat and we've probably all seen these videos where a girl will walk through a neighborhood wearing a, a cam or a GoPro or whatever it is. And there might even be points where some men will follow the woman for blocks trying to sidle up next to him saying shit or whatever. And I think that that is shitty. I could definitely see why women would find that threatening or off-putting. Like uh, Seinfeld used to joke about the guys who will beep their car horns at a good-looking girl. It's like, what do you think that's going to accomplish? Has a guy ever beeped a car horn or cat called from up on a building at a woman? And the woman, like, turns around and goes, yep, you and me, tonight, 8 o'clock, you know? I think it just makes you look kind of like a, a desperate cat or a brood or whatever. So I know I've been going on forever. I'm getting ready to put a cap on this thing. Is that a real saying? <laughs> and, uh, and I guess an attempt to try to bring everything back around and summarize some of the main points uh, I was trying to make. TJ seems to be focusing on the pre-existing casting couch phenomenon and how that's now being used as the excuse for a feminist takeover of Hollywood. And I've been trying to drive home the point that even if there was a pre-existing casting couch phenomenon, a consensual exchanging of sexual favors for acting roles or job opportunities or whatever, you know, all that quid pro quo and the ladder of dicks, as TJ eloquently put it, um, you know, what's that got to do with rampant sexual assault, non-consensual sexual assault? And one thing that I haven't really touched on yet is that even if this casting couch stuff in many instances is, is purely consensual or it has a history of being consensual, uh, you know, in my opinion, it's still kind of sleazy. You know, if you think about it, you got like a 
50-something or 60-something-year-old producer or director trying to solicit sex from, you know, it could be someone as young as 18 or 19 who is desperate to get into the business. That's still pretty sleazy and it's still exploitive uh, in a way, even if there is that quid pro quo. And uh, that will probably sound kind of puritanical or prudish to some. I think um, I've even heard, uh, I'm not going to say one's name or whatever, but I've I've had female acquaintances, this isn't most of them, but I have heard this from like a couple, espouse this kind of, you know, if you've got it, use it kind of philosophy that if powerful people can give you something in exchange for sex or whatever, you know, what's so wrong about that? And, uh, you know, I'm not a woman. If there's some women who feel that way, I get, you know, who am I to uh, challenge them on it? But, you know, there is something, I don't know, just kind of sad about that, I think. <laughs> I don't find that very positive or inspiring. But I guess how damaging it is depends on the individual woman. Are you someone who fully embraces that philosophy, that that type of behavior is okay and you've made your peace with that and you've chosen to engage in that behavior, that exchanging of sexual favors for whatever it is, climbing up the ladder happily, you know, and without regret? Or are you someone who's maybe more sensitive with a more traditional, shall we say, conscience and uh, who does find that demeaning or, you know, the the idea of exchanging sex with someone you don't necessarily want to be having sex with that you might not even find attractive with for opportunities, just like it's it's nothing more than a commodity rather than meaningful human intimacy. I mean, uh, and maybe you feel kind of manipulated into it, and and, uh, and and that way, I could I could see how that could be quite damaging. But um, maybe this episode won't end up being as long as I feared it would be. I thought this was going to be like a couple of hours long. Maybe I can get it down to like, I don't know, an hour and 15 minutes or something. We'll see what happens. Maybe a little over, maybe a little under. But uh, I'm going to end it here. I'm I'm sick of this subject. <laughs> now, I've been working on this episode for about a week now. I, I'm usually able to crank out episodes a lot easier than this. I, I don't know why this one was particularly so challenging um, I don't know if it was the technical difficulties and deciding to scrap a two-hour stream of consciousness recording and go back to the drawing board. Well, thanks for listening, guys. You know the drill. Uh, please like the Facebook page. And you guys know how neurotic I am when it comes to the Weekend Out Facebook page. I lost a like, so if anyone would like to jump in and get me from 164 back up to 165 likes again, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter. You can subscribe or rate the show via iTunes. You can um, also go to Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and check out the archives, going all the way back to the inaugural episode. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the show's Podbean page, or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. Uh, All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.